We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 425 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dean Hilton, and joining me again is Domagoy Gustainshuk. Domagoy, you get the honor of having the first Copa del Rey, obviously not the last. It could have been, but not the last Copa del Rey match review of the season. Yeah, it was a close one. It was a real pleasure watching that game. It was so fun. <laughs> but I don't think that many fans will will leave uh, that game happy, I guess. Not the play, all, all the players, yeah, or or Chai for that matter. Yeah, I felt like in my five headlines yesterday, I was a bit more negative than I could have been at the start. I wanted to to kind of set the stage, and we'll go over some of that stuff and what made me so bummed out. But by and large, now that I've had a sleep on it, and we're the next day making through, not falling to the sword of the magic of the cup to any other team in a lower division, it's a good thing. Where this is this match. Months from now, will largely be forgotten when something goes wrong. Just as long as the final result is fine, you know, put your head down, get through the news cycle, and then continue on, right? That's what happened with Espanol, the 1-1 draw. And then with this one, they survived, they advanced. And when it comes to the cup, that's all that matters because the only thing standing between you and the Copa del Rey is now four more matches. So I thought today what we do to have a little bit of fun here is to, well, our kind of fun, is to have an addition of La Bolsa bringing it all the way back to our 2017 roots, you know, Intercity being also founded in 2017, I felt emboldened to say what was old is now new again in the last five years. So we're going to play a little bit of Bolsa, which for those uninitiated means going almost player by player or idea by idea and giving a stock up or stock down. It could be stock neutral as well, where the stock hasn't moved at all. But I feel like for most players, it went up or went down with this one because I think the big idea Domagoy was that leading into this match against Intercity because of that starting 11 that we saw because of a lack of no Barca Athletic or Rubinel A players even making the bench. So no Chody, no Chadi Riyad, no Mark Casado, no Lamine Yamal, with the exception of Pablo Torre. Pretty much everybody is players that should kind of be in the squad, should be in the regular rotation. And there's an argument being made for Pablo Torre as well. So almost going player by player, we could say that pretty much everybody in that match had something to prove. I think with the very exception of Kunde and Gabi, but everybody else had something. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. It's just there were a lot of players who, well, French players who had to take this opportunity and kind of 
make a case for themselves, namely Memphis or Kessie. I think those two players are the ones that I would kind of highlight in this in this conversation because they don't get that many chances. And when they do, more often than not, they don't they kind of fall flat. And and this game in particular, I guess a lower division team, they just had to perform. I I, I understand that this is a cup game. And I feel these cup games are always difficult and always will be difficult. The context is hugely important here. Of course, we look, we look like a team that was kind of going through the motions at times while Intercity were a team that were playing the biggest game of their careers. You know, it felt that way. And that matters too. I mean, we cannot really say that it really affect our performances because it did. But at the end of the day, I, we've got only ourselves to blame for how close that result actually was. But, you know, there were also positives and negatives and, and we'll go deeper into that, I guess. But overall, I feel like if this game was a chance for some of the French players to prove themselves, I don't think many of them have actually done so. I don't think many of them have come into this game or out of this game and made Xavi think, oh, wow, this player needs more game time. With the exception of Pablo Torre, who I guess I guess we will discuss him too, but I think he was the highlight or maybe the surprise. Is it even fair to say he was he was a surprise? I guess he was, but we, we always knew that he kind of had that quality, that all, that all he needed was a stage to perform. And he did so, but some of the the more experienced players, some of the players that needed to do exactly that, they they failed to do it, and that's my my biggest concern. In addition to the negatives of this game being largely the known issues, so the issues that have troubled us in the past, they've crept up again this uh, last night. I mean, so that's that's my issue with Xavi. That we we're seeing the same issues all over all over again, and and is that a sign that Xavi doesn't understand how to solve them or is it just the inability to solve them is it the unwillingness to solve it or is it just that he doesn't see it as a as an issue and all of those scenarios are equally bad i feel like and that's the, that's the big thing here i mean i think the one of my big concerns other than actually what happened on the pitch was the stakes of this match or the expectations because usually i like to give credit to the opponent i say hey you know this is a hard place to play or this is a team coming in good form but Intercity is none of those things. Again, this is a club that began in 2017, have worked their way up through some of the lower levels, but their 16th out of 20 is place in the third division, in the same group in the Primera Division as Barca Athletic. So it's not like they were coming in great form. And even the players that shown out in Aaron, the center forward when they were playing that 5-4-1 in the first half, Aaron has one league goal this season. And even, you know, I, I'm happy for the academy player. He was there for two seasons in Oriol Soldevila, got the goals, all three of them, the hat trick. He had one league goal coming in as well. The, the, he, had, he now has four Copa del Rey goals, and three of those came against Barcelona. Again, three of them came in the biggest match of his career, which is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, that is a career-defining game for Soldevilla. I'm happy for him. And again, who knows what that one game galvanizes him to potentially do in his career being 21 years old. While I'm happy for him and those kind of things, if they had lost this match historically, it would have arguably been the worst match. Uh, sorry, it, w- it would have been arguably one of the more embarrassing results in even club history. Looking back to it, CF Intercity, the first team from a third te- tier, to score three goals in a single Copa del Rey game against FC Barcelona since Novelda did it in September of 2002. That match was a 3-2 loss. So you're talking 20 years since a result could have been that bad if, let's say, when it's 2-2, it's Intercity to get the 3-2 and Barca don't respond. Or let's say in extra time, it was Intercity who got the 4-3. 
it would have been obviously four goals and would have made new history. So I think for Barcelona, they did dodge a bit of a narrative bullet because, again, that would have been one of the most embarrassing losses on paper in club history. Now, what we do know is that, as you said, the cup is the cup. It's always going to be difficult. And when Barca are going through the motions like that, I think where we start with this La Bolsa, let's start with the forwards and we'll kind of clump these groups together. Then we'll, we'll move to the bench after we do the starters. So between Dembele and trying to get rid of some of the bad mojo after his World Cup ending and then kind of being poor against Espanyol, there's Ferran Torres, who always has something to prove, you should, you should argue. And then Memphis on the left side slash in the middle with those injuries and then some reports coming out that he's not too happy with his lack of playing time. And yet, while he would love to probably find a new place to play in January, the club, which we'll get into in a second, are not going to let him do so. So for Dembele, Ferran Torres, and Memphis, I don't know, Domagoy, am I wrong to say that all of them had their stock go down? Not a lot, but I think each of them has shared a little bit of that blame, and I think their stock, all three, went down just a little bit after that match. I would agree, especially with Memphis and Ferran. Neither of them have done anything of note in that game in particular, I think. Dembele, yes, maybe there, there's an argument where you can actually say that his stock went down as well, but this is largely what we, we're used to seeing from Dembele. He he does something brilliant and then he does something dumb. He's frustrating, but he's also frustratingly brilliant at the same time. It's it's kind of a conundrum in that way. So I, w- I would say that this is what we've come to expect, but at the same time, how long can we keep saying that. I mean, how long does he get that leisure of being that frustrating player? When does he become the player that's consistently brilliant, not frustratingly brilliant? So I would say that with him, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe his stock has fallen down a little bit, but I'm more looking at Memphis and Ferran. Ferran is kind of... I, I love Ferran. I love what he brings. I love the, the profile. He is the needed profile, and Xavi knows that he needs that kind of a player in his squad, but at the same time, how long are we going to wait for him to to be the player that we need him to be? I mean, not, not just the profile that we need, but also he has to fulfill that profile, that role. He has to not just be the idea of a player, but he has to be that player. He has to personify that on the pitch. That's what I'm looking for uh, in Ferran Torres. Uh, Memphis, I don't know. He is currently his stocks are dropping, even though he's a player that can be useful and should be useful, should be used more than he has been used. But I don't think that he should be used as a striker at all. He has a lot of qualities, and and some of those qualities are kind of transferable, translatable to the the striker role. But, you know, such as his back-to-goal play, link-up with midfield, and good ball striking, all those things help him be this flexible profile that can be used down the middle and, and on the left. And he's also a decent outlet when he wants to be. But the angles are completely different when he's a center forward. The space is different. The marking is different. Everything is different. And the pie works best when he can either beat the marker and, and you know towards the middle and run into space, cut on the wrist, cut on his right foot, and then either combine with the center forward or kind of shoot from that position. And that inverted left wing position, I feel like this is where he's best, and that suits both our needs as a club and his preferences as a player. So you have Balde or, or Alba to provide with and, and even distribute from, from the deep and Memphis kind of in that half space. So that angle when he's bearing down from the left, down the channels, that's where we should use him. And of course, context is also kind of critical here because when is he used? What games? How is he used? With Which players is he com- uh, partnered with? All of those things are context. And often think, oftentimes that, that context kind of goes against him, I feel. 
he's in that in that regard I compared him to to Griezmann or Coutinho where he didn't have the lows or the highs of the, those players but I cannot really say that we also play to to Memphis's strengths either at the moment he doesn't seem like a player who's actively and relentlessly trying to stay and make it at this club too so I think that that kind of also factors into the whole conversation of how how well he performs we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it was interesting to see that Xavi kind of threw that experiment of having Ferran Torres on the left wing and Memphis in the center. That lasted, what, 13 and a half minutes, something like that. And it was already a dead experiment because I think I agree with you that Memphis makes most sense on the left wing. And we've seen the best of Ferran Torres this year, even though we've seen the most of him on the wing. We've seen the best of him down the middle. And uh, basically as a backup striker to Lewandowski, there is no replacement to that. Both Lewandowski and Pedri got a rest for this match. They weren't even in the squad at all. But the yeah, the disappointing part is because no matter who else was going to be the forwards, like of the other combination of the other five of them, other than Lewandowski, you're going to be left after this kind of result saying, yes, Barca scored four goals without Lewandowski. But it, de- it did seem just structurally when they were up one nothing that with Lewandowski, maybe they get a second goal instead of allowing the 1-1 and then the 2-2 and then the 3-3. And in the case of Memphis... Yeah, you're you left wanting, certainly, of that match. So I agree with all those things. And I think that brings me to just a kind of a big point about how Kool-Aid is and also how much attention I give to certain Kool-Aids. And, of course, those who are frustrated with the squad itself are going to be outspoken. There will always be people on social media and people at the club who are already out on players and saying they need a clean house, get rid of this player, get rid of that player, get rid of that player. And I, I think what was frustrating to me is that I don't really, not say that I don't have a response to that, but after this kind of match, I kind of have to say, you're, like your mom did with the cough medicine, or, and you can hear it in my voice today, but with cold medicine or something, that you kind of got to just take it and get through it and take your lumps and, and deal with it. And that's kind of how it is with a lot of these players, including even Memphis, who probably wants to leave in January, but the club likely isn't going to let him. They're going to actually have his contract instead of taking some kind of transfer fee for him and let him play out the rest of his contract because they legitimately need him this season. 
and they're going to just desperately search the bargain bin over the, the summertime when they're back to a four to one as opposed to a one to one right now and look for some kind of free agent that they could possibly bring in. Because the club at the moment, it came out in the Athletic this week again. They were once again reporting that Barcelona will not have, it's guaranteed it will not have anything resembling a transfer window right now. And the even worse news is that Barcelona do indeed still need to shed salary. La Liga has changed their rules once again to now be that there are no levers coming, that any stuff that is spent outside or any moves that are made to create income outside of actually even reducing the wage bill itself will not count to reducing the wage bill. So again, the numbers being reported are 200 million. That's the squad that Barca currently has. They need to get rid of and shed salary. That's not counting PK. That's not counting uh, having lost Messi and, and having some increasement off the books. It's not any of that. It's still 200 million euros at the present moment. And that's a lot of salary just to comply with the Liga's regulations for next season. So between that now and then, of course, you'll have Busquets coming off the books. That's around 20 million. But if they renew him for a smaller number, you ask why are they going to renew him for a smaller or the smallest number that he can go down to? Well, that's because you might not find a free agent who is going to be at that number. Why is Marcus Alonso potentially renewing? Because you're not going to find a free agent who's going to renew for that number. And Xavi already has him incorporated in the squad. They need to actually reduce salary just to renew Alejandro Balde and the agreed upon salary of Gabi that he agreed to already, that new first team deal, to even register that in the Liga for next season. They have to reduce that salary. So as so I'm not defending the club at all I, I'm, I'm to bring back Alonso. And I know people are polarized on a player like him. He wasn't great coming in off the bench in this match either. They give away my LaBosa on Alonso. And so for Barcelona, who are likely, you have to say, they need because they have to get rid of the salary of all Alba, even though he, if he doesn't want to leave, he doesn't have to. He's making enough next year that no one's going to take him at his age and his contract. So Alba's kind of stuck if he wants to be at the club, the same way that Busquets was, he could just stay. PK could have stayed as well, but PK chose to leave, having probably overstayed his welcome by about a half a season. But yet with all of those things that Barcelona needs to do, again, renewing the young players is, is, is a whole thing that uh, that's going to be their focus even more so than bringing in new players. So they're incorporating the players they already have in the squad. And that's why Xavi also says in the media, I like the squad that I currently have. Again, I'm not defending the club. I'm saying that's what the club is currently dealing with. And that's what cool is currently dealing with. So I, I think that's, this is me kind of saying this as being almost at a breaking point, not to throw up or, or to give away too many other answers here, but I watched a performance like, like Bayerine yesterday. And I go, of course not. Like the club needs three fullbacks. They literally need, they need legitimately need three fullbacks. Plus again, a, another defensive midfielder of some kind. And of course a winger would be useful because something of Rafinha or Dembele and Ferran Torres and the onto the state that he's in, you have four guys that you really don't know what you're getting from. And it'd be really helpful to have two players up top that you really know that you're getting exactly this every match Lewandowski plus something else. But now you're seeing that the Lewandowski thing is even more so of a gamble than it was because Barca failed to reach the next round of the Champions League. And that's another thing that's gone against Laporta. And that's what it was. I defended it at the time because I had said it's a gamble to to go with the levers and all this stuff. And I had Mike Crimmins, our financial expert, come on and we discussed that it wasn't so bad, those levers, and it made all a lot of sense. But now that Liga has changed their rules again and Laporta did gamble on that Champions League money and the fact that Liga approved for next season a well for this season rather then making the round of eight in the champions league and winning la liga barcelona's revenue and income were based on those metrics 
And now the fact that Barcelona failed to make those, it's going to make this situation worse. That's why the number is 200 million. So I don't know. Uh, Domagoy, it's just for me, I didn't give an answer on the Bolsa. We can move to midfield if you want. But I, I'm just kind of updating people on or reminding people what is a harrowing financial situation for Barca. So while the knee-jerk reaction is get XYZ player out of my club, it, it just that's not a, that's not an argument that Barcelona can deal with right now. The fortunate part is that they're they're joint leaders of the Liga with the squad that most find to be completely incomplete. And if anything, that tells you that Xavi over the last tw- 22, 12 months, as I said on the earlier show in the week, that over the last 12 months, Xavi has gained more points in the Liga than any other team, more than Real Madrid. So in 12 months, Xavi's put Barcelona in a position to potentially win the Liga this season. I mean, it, at this point, with four, and this cup was a reminder as well, whether it's the Copa del Rey, the Spanish Super Cup in the next two weeks or three weeks, or La Liga, or the Europa League, Xavi has to win a trophy this season. Uh, those are the standards, those are the expectations, and it's a failure if they don't do so, because those failures are biting Barcelona financially, and they're not able to do even the simple things, like renew the players who are currently in the squad, not even bring in new blood, because Barcelona already brought in new blood over the summer, and it failed. So there were moments in that game, and why I got so negative, Domogoy, because of me being reminded of the financial reality that Barcelona are going to be in for at least the next season and some of the hard choices that are still coming to keep the squad they have intact. So when this squad underwhelms like that, and when it was 2-2 and it was 3-3, <laughs> and I'm saying, oh, Barcelona are going to make really, really bad history here. Of course, it's a it's a code red. All the alarm bells are ringing because, I I mean, what else do I offer up to Kool-Aid's, right? I mean, because again, the hate I get from the outside world that Barcelona deserve to be in the position they're in, I have no response to those Kool-Aid's who are saying, they need to clean house and blow it all up because these are the players that Kool-Aid's, fortunately, you're going to have to get used to or else I don't know what to do with how you're going to watch matches from here on for the next, what, 12 months still. Yeah, I'm not sure not sure how to respond to that. Uh, I, well, you can move yeah. to the midfield if you want. <laughs> if you want. <laughs> we can and Busquets and Pablo Torre because I think start, I guess a response about Busquets is a big part of that mm-hmm. because with Busquets, that conversation is you and I uh, you and I, especially more than almost anybody else, talk about <laughs> Busquets and and the big picture yep. about Busquets and what all that means. And so I think for let, let's let's move to that midfield after that whole rant for me. Give me the the La Bolsa on Pablo Torre and Kessier and Busquets because I think for those three in particular, it's a real mixed bag. Right. Let's start with the good one then, Pablo Torre. I think we can start with the bad ones. All right. I'm not sure if it's better to start with the good one then move it onto the bad. Well, I guess so. I guess I guess that's a good plan. Let's let's just start with Pablo Torre then. Definitely on the rise, I would say, as, as we alluded to at the start of the show. I think the more he plays, the more his quality actually becomes evident. Yesterday, he was among. I would say he was among the best players on the pitch. Yes, the opposition has to be taken into account. We keep saying that. But you know what? He is different. He's different because he's very proactive. He's very aggressive on the ball. Uh, and the technical level that he showed between the lines is probably something that we've come to expect from our youth players. Homegrown or otherwise, it doesn't matter. Barca always needs to have such midfielders who are comfortable between the, li- uh, between the lines. And that's kind of a prerequisite for Barca players. But there are a couple of traits that give Barcelona a different dimension, I would say, when it comes to Pablo Torre. I'm looking at his space awareness in particular here, for example, knowing when to advance, when to drop, when to ask for the ball to feed, when to make a run without even expecting to kind of receive the ball. That is gold to me because it's, it's, it's especially relevant in Xavi's system or 
the system that he's trying to implement where our eight or our interiors are often those half space penetrators, as I like to call them. It's also one of the mechanisms that's very effective for breaching those low blocks. And this is where we often struggle. So I guess, I guess that gives us an, an edge, a different tool to use. And, and I value that a lot. So then you have his delivery, his ball striking. I feel like those things are connected. And, and, and in theory, he's someone who's willing to thread those risky passes that also can be rewarding. And someone who, alongside Pedri, for example, should be encouraged to shoot more from outside the box. And this is something that we missed since, since even Rakitic, even or Paulinho or, or those guys, where you have someone who can breach the low block just through shots outside the box. I feel that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a thing that we have to use more, kind of encourage our players to do more. And overall, I feel like Torre was very involved. He was his profile is a deep block unlocker. I will feel I feel in some some way, and for a team like Barca, that's that's a huge huge point. And I just I just want to see more of him in the future. Can he compete with Pedri and Gavi for the for the first team spot? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think that he displaces anyone right now. But as a rotational player who can offer a different dimension, a different partnership, a different tool, I mean, why not? Yeah, I'm with you on Pablo Torre, that I think his stock goes up after this match. 19 years old, 276 days. Pablo Torre is the youngest player to be involved in a goal in each of his first two starts for Barcelona in all competitions. Goal and assists <laughs> since at least 2013-14. And that stat in itself is kind of misleading because it came, what, four or five months apart. So great that he did that, but he had to wait quite a while. And again, he has to wait. He's had to wait because he is not really featured. Other than that Champions League match against Victoria Pilsen, we have not really seen him. And I think to say that he's underwhelmed with his career so far, I think is a bit unfair to him going from being the focal point at uh, racing Santander. And we saw even defensively that not to say he doesn't know exactly where to be, but he changes his profile, as you mentioned, kind of even changes the way that Barcelona are set up in that midfield. Usually, you know, it's Busquets or De Jong, whoever it is behind everybody. And Pedri and Gabi, can you guys get forward? Pedri kind of shuffles through, drops in deep to receive the ball, and you kind of have everybody in their, their movements and their patterns. But Pablo Torre is farther forward than any of the other five of them, right? I think the six midfielders. Yeah, he's the one that's pushing forward. He's the one that really is getting in that number 10 space, especially because Lewandowski wasn't in the squad. You didn't have a natural striker. You had Memphis and Ferran, where there was a move early on in the first like two and a half minutes or something, where Pablo Torre gets right into the center of that, into the, the butter of that defense because Farron went to the right, Memphis goes to the left, and the sea kind of parts for Farron to, to, to initiate into that Raquel May position. And it's an honor to Raquel May to still be that player, but uh, he also didn't really defend much at all. But for Pablo Torre, to watch him defensively and come back, and he had some moments in that game that were, that were bright, but I think still for young players being asked to do first-team roles, a reminder that understanding what it takes to, and I'll say it this way, to cover for Busquets is a bit of work. It takes a little bit of time to figure all that out. And that kind of brings me to the next guy here in Frank Kessier, which I'm concerned, once again, not only offensively, but defensively, where he is in understanding the Barcelona system. I, I think for, other than Pablo Torre, who, because his contract is cheap enough, Barcelona are not going to sell him on super quick. I mean, he might not have a spot in the first team next year. But with the way that things, I went through it already, the way it's constructed, and I just want to throw in the last caveat on Pablo Torre, is that I know people are calling for Riyadh and Casado and Yamal and other players they've never heard of yet. But because Gabi is still on a youth contract, because Balde is still on a youth contract, 
because Palpatore is still on a youth contract, even though Inaki Pena was upgraded with that 13 shirt to a first team deal, Barcelona can still only play so many youth players on youth deals at the same time. So a reminder too, that Gabi and Balde, even though we know them as first team players, Palpatore, we know him as a first team player because he cannot play with Barca Athletic and with the first team in the same because of the way his contract is constructed. So it's really confusing and unfortunate with those rules and regulations. But a reminder that Barcelona are still playing youth players or not youth players, but youth contract players, even though they're first team players. That is the unfortunate position that Barcelona are in at the moment. Kessier, though, that is an actual first team player. And I mean, with him and Memphis, I think those rumblings and that smoke where there's fire about some low money offers coming in for Kessier in January are fair. They might even be coming in from his side of the stuff, that being maybe not even his agent, but somebody else who can prosper from getting a player like that on the cheap in January. And I think Barcelona, unfortunately, have to to give away where I find his Labolsa after this one. I don't know. I don't think he was that poor. Even the, the winning goal, it comes on a one-touch pass that sets up Rafinha, Koundé to Kessier. You know, I, I think there was a lot of work he was doing for Dembele. Like when Dembele kept giving the ball away in the first half in particular, dispossessed over and over and over again, Kessier kind of defending for him and being a bit deeper in his positioning. So not getting forward, uh, forward as far. And then having Dembele giving the ball away in the positions he did, when Kessier did kind of try to go forward, when he did try to push where he is comfortable, becoming that high interior, Barcelona would give away the ball by trying to come to the middle. And now you're lost in the middle of the field when Kessier is up on the right wing. And now it looks like he's out of position. So I felt like on first viewing, I was a bit harsh on Kessier. But having looked at it all, again, having thought about it, having looked at his metrics as well, and having rewatched some of that first half, I felt like I was a bit tough on him where I'm almost willing to go stock neutral, but because his stock didn't go up, it feels like his stock went down because he did absolutely nothing to when we saw Gabi come on for Pablo Torre, Kessie did absolutely nothing to push anywhere closer to where Pedri and Gabi and De Jong are at the moment in the pecking order. And Busquets is going to be the pivot and Pablo Torre again, showed you something and was positive. So for Kessie, Again, I think it's almost a addition by, or a subtraction by a lack of addition because he didn't really show you anything that he needed to prove. Yes, I, I would agree with that. The more I think about it, the, the, the more sense it makes that he wasn't awful. He wasn't that bad. But at the same time, he's not someone who's going to make or break your game. He's not a game changer. He's not key in any regard. Yes, he makes those he he covers for players. He he kind of does the dirty work. In some regard, it reminds me of, of Rakitic's late roles before he left the club. I think it's, it's a very ungrateful job to have and a very ungrateful role to have uh, if that is the role that Xavi has envisioned for him. But I don't think that he has. I don't think that Xavi wants Kessie or wanted Kessie just just for the, the dirty work. I feel like mm-hmm. there are qualities in that player that, that actually that makes sense for this Barca team. And, and even if it if it is for the defensive aspect of the game, you know, just to smell for danger, just to just to add a bit of physicality into the team. I, I know people hate this. They hate, they hate the word athleticism and they hate the word physicality. But I feel like sometimes physicality and athleticism can help you mask your structural defi- deficiencies. So if you if your structure is kind of leaky and 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 you you're easy to play through and the structure kind of doesn't prevent that from happening, what you can do it you can use athletic players, players who can run a lot, players who are strong, players who can smell danger to kind of 
mask those deficiencies, kind of kind of minimize the damage, not really solve the issue, but maybe minimize the damage. And that also matters in, in those kind of games. Sometimes it's a difference between, you know, losing and winning a game even. But for Kessie, I think, I, I don't know. At first, I would say that his stock seems to be decreasing the more he plays, which is the opposite of what, of what people have used to defend him. They, they keep saying he's a player who doesn't get game time. That's why he's so poor. And I can understand that. He's a player out of rhythm. Uh, and a player that may also suffer from those contextual issues that we that we mentioned with with uh, Memphis. The the things I'm trying to say is it, the way we use him, when we use him, with who we use him, with all those things matter. But you know, when when a player has heavy touches, when he's ineffective or inefficient in his passing, or his decision making is not really good, I, I don't think that those things are inherently tied. To the role he's playing, it's, it's the basics should always be in place, especially in Barcelona. If if, if that's the level that he's trying to play at, we, we can talk about optimizing his role. We can talk about optimizing optimizing his performances through giving him a specific task that he has to has to do. But if the basics don't hold up, he won't get more game time. That's the thing. It's as simple as that. Players can win game time either through excellent performances off the bench or in training. If, if you're a rotational player, a fringe player, you can you can do those two things to kind of convince the coach that you, 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 you warrant more time, more game time. But if he's not getting game time regularly, that means he's not done enough to, to kind of earn that game time. And, and sadly, games like yesterday, I, I don't think that that game has made Xavi think, oh, Cassie needs to play more because he was so instrumental in our win. Yes, he did some good things. He was tidy in covering up for Dembele, as you said. Those things are true, and I feel like there is some sort of utility in that player in the role that he plays. But at the same time, in which situation would you would you actually say that, oh, okay, we're going to play Cassie ahead of Gavi, for example, or, or ahead of Pedri? You know, I can't even imagine that. Even with Busquets, and and the young, you know, there's not really an argument of putting, you know, to put Cassie ahead of anyone in that midfield. Well, he's not and a if he's a pivot, so it's like, is it positionally like? I know it's a midfield, but Cassie doesn't fit yeah. in the same position as yeah, exactly, what he's exactly. Being asked to do, yeah, I know. So I feel like every role that you can think of at the moment, maybe you know, a double pivot could, in theory, on paper, it could suit him if if he's to play with the young, for example. Maybe you can pair those two players up and then somehow you can you can you can manage although at the same time i would say that cassie and de jong are kind of too similar what they want to do they're both kind of box to box they want they both want to start deep end up high so you have two very vertical sixes to play together that that, that also doesn't really tick all my boxes personally i would i would like one player to be more horizontal one more, more vertical that's the the ideal partnership that, we, that you want in a double pivot so i don't don't really see any scenario in which cassie is is the ideal pick where he's the one that mm. we we just go oh this is where we need him ahead of everyone else and that's the problem that's why he's not really getting game t- game time because he's not a solution to any of our problems i would say well maybe in some regard when it comes to those defensive lapses and and covering and, and smelling for danger and all those things which barca lack they do lack that they are very leaky they are very they don't cover well, they're not really sure who to mark, how to how to move defensively sometimes, and maybe Cassie can offer some of that. But I'm not sure if he's at that level, if he's that good to be to be thrown into the into the uh, the fire ahead of anyone in particular. That's my that's kind of my yeah. issue with him. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting with the midfield and Cassie and Busquets 
you just and I actually heard some people make this argument, which was I think the wrong argument that to say that Barcelona gave up three goals as if it was as if it was Busquets or Kessier's fault. You just have to look at the goals that were scored and you realize that almost nothing goes on on those two. The first goal was scored. Araujo and Kunde both going for it goes over both their heads, which should not happen for both those two. The ball goes back across goal after that. They had the header that went over their head. And then Soldavia finishes against Ferran Torres. Ferran Torres lost him at the back post. Then the crowd gets behind him. And for the 2-2, it was a glancing header. Bayerin got it completely wrong on a throw-in. Like, I don't know how he did that, but he completely, not to give away my bolso for Bayerin, but here you go. I give it away on this one here. That he completely plays a throw-in wrong. He, like, stepped two instead of, like, he was in this no-man's land. And it wasn't even like it was a quick throw-in. Then he tries to slide into it to try to, to to get the first initial block off. Then when it goes back out to the player, it gives him time to get off the cross, like way too much time to get off the cross, doesn't get out to him. And then Alba, of course, in typical Alba fashion, was late to come across to defend at the back post. And it's a good header win, but way, way too easy on the second goal. Then the third goal basically comes in transition, but it's Alonso that was just dispossessed, like cannot give away the ball in that circumstance. With Eric Garcia pushed way too upfield, Busquets was actually the only one back and trying to get into position. And it was a three-on-one. And Busquets tried to cut down the angle to the other two guys and hope that Inaki Pena would make the save and goes right through his legs. Pena doesn't make the save. And that's how the hat trick happens for Soldavia. So to, to give the Busquets thing, like on paper, Barca give away three goals, then, oh, it must be in transition. Busquets and that, that, that you know, basically that contrite, that lazy argument that if Barcelona are giving up goals and it must be the fault of Busquets and it must be their defensive structure. But all three of those goals are avoidable if individual players, largely on set pieces, don't mistakes uh, don't make the mistakes they did. And if Alonso doesn't just give the ball away when Barcelona have pushed way upfield, and if anything, in the 86th minute when you're up 3-2, it's that situational question of why are Barcelona so high? Why is Eric so high up the field? Why is Busquets in the position he was in off to the one side even? Like, why is Busquets not in the middle of the field and Alonso and Garcia just laying it off to him and Barcelona just keeping their... That rest defense, like why was their rest defense so funky? Would their legs tired as well? Like Intercity's was? Like Barcelona won this game because Intercity, they lost their legs. Barcelona wore them down. And in that extra time, only one team was going to win. And Intercity needed to get to PKs and they didn't. But Barcelona, you could argue in the latter half of the second half that can a player like Busquets, maybe his legs were getting tired because at his age, it's totally reasonable that he, that he would get tired at, after pushing and pushing in a game like that, that Got a little bit too up and down for the way Barcelona wanted. So for Busquets, you know, I'll let you answer then because I want to move to the, the defense as well and kind of pick up the pace here. For Busquets, on paper, people want to say that, oh, Barca gave up three goals. His Bolson would have gone down. I think it's completely neutral because he did nothing yesterday that told me that he should be starting over De Young at this point, especially with De Young, if he's going to be part of this long-term project still. And Barcelona can't get rid of him, even though they would love to shed his salary in January and beyond. If De Young is a part of this squad moving forward and the club is recommitted to him, then Busquets has got to lose his starting spot. Like, it's it. Like, it's, it's De Young, it's Pedri, it's Gabi moving forward. And they, those three have got to figure it out. They've got to figure out how to get one of them into the box sometimes. They have to figure out how to find that final ball, how to not even pick up the assist, but how to be more clinical in the final third. All three of them. De Young has to recapture what he has done for Barca in the past. Maybe not just the goals, but the assists as well. So for me, I think Busquets is just a completely neutral Labolsa because... I don't think he proved that. Oh, it has to be him instead of De Young structurally. But in the same regard, I don't think, I don't think any of it gets put on Busquets and gets blamed on Busquets. I think Barcelona largely controlled that match. They did, especially the first half. They controlled that match. 
and they control the match when Busquets is on the field. So he kind of did the job he was asked. So you can add to Busquets in a second, but as far as the back line, to me, I, I just going across, and then let's hear from you as well. For me, Albert's neutral as well. Same thing. Did Alba take the spot from Balde? Absolutely not. We know he can deliver probably the best final ball on the team, but also Alba had the moment and he's going to have a moment. And it's going to, this is what happened to Jordi Alba. And then Bayern on the other side, I mean, he's the fourth right back. So I guess maybe it was neutral, but obviously it's down because he's a natural right back. So you'd have to say, hey, Roberto, hey, Bayerine, can you please take those right back minutes from Kunde, who should be a center back, and from Balde, who should be playing as a left back? And Bayerine did nothing to have me say that Kunde should not be starting a right back over him, that Roberto shouldn't be the starter over him, and that Balde, as a converted right back, probably isn't just as good of an option playing with his opposite foot than Bayerine. So to me, the stock for Bayerine is down in that instance. Alonso coming off the bench, his stock was down too because he makes a, a terrible mistake. And then for Kunde, I thought he was the player of the match, arguably. I think if Araujo plays 90 minutes, it's him. But I thought Kunde was just really the only Barcelona player that looked like, oh, this guy is not only walking through this match, but he is clearly talent-wise. I mean, defensively, he played left center back, right center back, right back, wherever he was asked to be. He stepped when he needed to. He was risky, but safe. Passing was what it needed to be. Building up on the right side with Dembele, protecting Dembele. I, I thought Kunde was just solid the entire match, with the exception of him and Araujo jumping at the same time on that first goal. And then Araujo obviously stocked way up as well. Returning from injury, there were questions. Gets the early goal. Saves a goal as well. Could have been 1-1 earlier. With And I think those two plays, if he did nothing else, just those two plays were good enough for me. I mean, he wasn't asked to do a lot. I mean, Intercity weren't really pressing, so he wasn't put under much pressure as a center back to break through the lines. But I thought Araujo was good in that juncture. And then I already gave you, gave you Alba. So yeah, Busquets, and the defense, was there anything wrong in what I said there, Domogoy? Anything to extrapolate on? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I would agree with all of that. Alba, you know what you get from Alba. It's kind of the... We can expect that kind of a display. You know? He he is very effective in the things that he does moving forward. He he will... He can even overlap. He can, he can be that sort of inverted kind of distributor from the deep. I, I like that as well. I like that adapt, adaptation from Alba. I, I feel like that he's done really well to to become that kind of a player for Barcelona when they need him to be. But uh, as I've said, at one point, Alba is going to do an Alba and, and he will, <laughs> something will happen that will, that will kind of mark the game in a bad way. And, and, and I feel like people are really getting fed up with, with, with that aspect of his game. And I, I think that he's a very underrated defender too i think that there is a player in there that can defend and knows how to defend but at the same time there is a player there's a player in there who's always going to have that one one moment in him that that's that's sadly going to going to give the opposition something to to latch on to and and the same can be said for eddie garcia for example i feel like he's a, a very good player that, that that simply has that that one big mistake in him every single game and i feel like that's bogging him down at the moment very much so. On Busquets, I agree as well. He's done nothing wrong yesterday, but at the same time, he's done nothing to really make us reconsider the future and what lies ahead. I feel like the young, the more he plays in that position, the the sec, number six, the, the more he gets used to it. He he will he will he looks like a player that we can actually count on. Is he the finished product that he can just slot into that position? I don't think so. There will be kinks still along the way, but I feel like going with the young at this point is is a much less risky 
decision than it is to to, to kind of force Busquets to to be that player for us when he cannot really be be that anymore. So I feel like his Busquets' stock, yes, it remains the same. Didn't do anything wrong. Wasn't at fault for the, for the goals. I, I would say that our structure had to do well. It was pretty leaky yesterday, but not really in not really for the goals. But there were other moments where Barca yeah. really. They were really not looking good defensively, not as a team, not individually. So a lot of those mistakes and goals can be put down to individual uh, lack of concentration, let's put it that way, or just not being sure what to do or how to react. So there's a lot, lot to talk about individually, but at the same time, Barca have shown that they are still a team that's that's defensively not exactly a, a great collective. But yes, in general, Busquets stay the same. Araujo and Kunde, I agree. Absolutely brilliant. And that, that just goes to show you that we need a right back who's good enough that will enable Kunde to play center back. That's that's the thing now Barca need to do. And you find someone who's good enough to, to, to take that spot from, from Kunde, or at least the right profile who can take that spot from Kunde, just so that we can play him as center back. Because Araujo and Kunde as a center back partnership, they're not really that not really perfect because you know Araujo has his flaws. Kunde is more of a complete player, I would say. At this point, but but they, as a partnership, as a, as a duo, I think they worked really well, and they they've been the ones that saved Barcelona on, on multiple occasions. Both of them, uh, Kunde intercepting some some crucial passes and transitions, Araujo preventing a clear goal. It was it's it's a good thing to to have. You know, it's, it's it, it makes me so happy to see that we have such such promising center backs in the back line, and they're also kind of. The very dangerous moving forward too, because Kunde has the delivery. Araujo is good in the box, in in the air, and Kunde is also good in the air despite his height. So there's a lot to like in that back, in that center back <laughs> duo, and I feel like that that's that's a very very big positive to take away from this game. And they need more minutes as as a duo, and this game gave us exactly that. It gave us a taste of what can what can what can come in the future, and I feel like we need to build on that. But in order to build on that, we need a right back who will who will, you know, just let Kunde play center back. That's that's a big thing now. Yeah, I mean, isn't that yeah. the problem, right? That the way that this squad is structured, and we saw that you got that feeling with Kunde and Araujo when they both were playing together again and came back yesterday to the squad. That this team, when you're talking about big goals and really achieving something, Xavi is going to have to get as much as he possibly can, basically out of players nine through seventeen in the squad because one through eight went healthy. On their day, I mean, there was something very solid. Like the spine for Barcelona can get things done. Even going to Iñaki Pena, who for me, he's the last one to mention, to back to his hometown of Alicante, trying to show out. And he winds up having that amazing save in the 84th minute. But then it almost gets completely neutral. Well, it gets completely neutralized because on the other side, Campos denies Rafinha on an even better save. And then the next minute coming down inner city, Soldevia gets the 3-3. Iñaki Pena, for me, I think it's completely neutral because... He made two huge saves in the game, and yet he also gets beat on a shot, especially the third one that he should have stopped. That should have been the game there. It should have ended 3-2, but he winds up getting beat through the legs. And so for him, he looked like a backup goalkeeper that might get more Copa del Rey stuff. Hopefully he'll get the first round of the Spanish Super Cup. But based on the money there, based on where they are, based on the expectations for the Spanish Super Cup, as much as I don't care about the competition, it's likely to be Ter Stegen that's going to have to start those matches and think he can handle that. But going through the bench now here, I already mentioned Alonso to me. Obviously, third goal's basically, what, 85% his fault. So stock down for me on that. Then you have Rafinha, Eric Garcia, Alejandro Balde, and Gabi. I think for all of them, it's where they sit in the squad. It was basically a neutral. 
If Gabi, it, it went up just a little bit because I think Gabi's fight and his desire, which we know he provides, I think were really helpful to that midfield. Not saying that, that Pablo Torre wasn't providing that. I think, if anything, based on the performance, that Pablo Torre should have stayed in the game and that Gabi should have come in for Kessier. But remember, Pablo Torre was also returning from a bit of an injury. He had an injury bug throughout most of the international break through the World Cup. So he wasn't fully fit in the way that Kessier should have been ready for those minutes because he's just been training for the last, what, six months or whatever. But he was fully healthy for a while. Again, Eric Garcia, neutral for me. He, he winds up having a little bit of a howler play, but it comes on the wing. He gets back in position, if you remember. It doesn't lead to anything, fortunately for him. Rafinha, neutral for me as well. Could have been the, the game winner. Definitely came in with energy. If anything, Rafinha went up a little bit because he basically gave you the same thing that Dembele did. Actually, he did, but he did it in, in, in shorter minutes. He provided a goal just like Dembele did. Got winds up being a FIFA goal, wide open at the back post. And then, obviously, you know, I'm culminating Ansu Fati here. And Ansu, I mean, this one's a no-brainer. Dembele, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that... Ansu Fati is the big, big, well, the big news is it's not really, we need a bigger sample for this, I think. I, I want to see Ansu kind of doing this, doing what he, he we know that he can do on a, on, a, on a bigger sample, just doing it regularly, kind of getting back into the groove. But this is huge for him as well, because we keep saying that a lot of his issues are just psychological. It's just, he has this blockade and, and he's not really the player that he used to be. And I feel like maybe, you know, physically as well, he's he's still kind of, Finding that speed, speed of thought, speed of reaction—I don't know—those uh, little details that kind of made him such a, such a clinical and such an incredible youngster. I feel like that those things are still missing. But once he gets his head straight and it kind of gets that, that confidence back, and he he can go, go into challenges fully, not not really worrying or not really being this suppressed version of himself. I feel like that's what when we hopefully will see his old self-return, but his stock definitely goes up. And with the goal, I, I feel like his instincts are still there. He, he still has that smell for goal. He he knows how to move, when to move. He knows how his teammates move. He understands the Barcelona system. And, and that, that's huge for a forward because people look at Dembele and they, they go like, well, he has the, 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 the technical qualities. He has the physical qualities. He has the potential, but he's not really a Barcelona player. Even after all those years, and if, even after all those moments of brilliance, people are still doubting if 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 uh, Dembele has that cursed Barca DNA. Whereas with Ansu, it, it, it's kind of more straightforward. I feel like if there was such a thing as Barca DNA, I think Ansu would definitely have more of it than Dembele, for example. It's just that he's not he's not himself just yet, and hopefully this game pushes him closer to that point where he's when he's back but I, I, th I feel like we also have to accept that there is a possibility that that moment might never come that, that he might never be the player that he was destined to become and and, and that's that's also when i say it's fine it's not fine for us not fine for him but at the same time it's understandable because such a young player going through so much uh, physically and mentally it, it it just it takes a toll it takes a toll on a human being and i feel like answer is no different he's not immune to all those things so there is there is a reality in which he never really recovers that brilliant self and and, and we have to accept that too with with alonso yeah i don't think i have to add much he is a very it was a very i don't know weird acquisition very weird wish by chavi i don't think that he's i guess the price was right and and, and chavi just kind of pulled the plug and uh, brought him in. I, I think he has his qualities. He can be useful at times, but but also he's not 
not really a solution to anything that we need at the moment. Who else? De Jong, he didn't play. I'm missing someone. Balde. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't think much changes with Balde. We know that he is, he is, he is definitely ahead of of anyone in in his position. And, and I feel like that didn't change last night. Not much has happened. Rafinha. Oh yeah, Rafinha. Well, it has a lot, a lot of a lot to do with Gamestead as well, because you know he the Miller plays most of the game, and Rafinha comes in fresh, and the opponents are kind of you know tired and all that. That matters. But I feel like Rafinha. Stock his stock has gone up because whenever he's on the pitch, something happens. And don't get me wrong, the same is true for Dembele. He also makes things happen. But I feel like Dembele is at times he is more brilliant than, than Rafinha, but he's also more frustrating at times. So uh, there's always that drawback. You, you have to have to balance it out. Well, balance it out somehow. Uh, it's a risk that you you take with Dembele. He's either going to completely break the game and, and and tilt it in your favor or he's going to be frustrating all night and making wrong decisions it's just how he is and and that's the thing with him and always has been yeah i think is that is that everyone know <laughs> yeah i'd say so yeah i mean i think the as you said i think that partly it perfectly sums up Dembele and rafina in that debate on when they start <laughs> who starts because the highs for Dembele are higher the lows are lower and rafina the expectation is somewhere right in the middle every time and I think, again, those coming in with expectations that Rafinha was going to be some world beater, I kind of, you know, when I spoke to Oscar from uh, the, the Leeds United fan and Kule himself, that Rafinha, goal scoring wise, yes, he was the man for Leeds United, but he was the man for a, a tough relegation fighting Leeds United side. To have expected 15 goals from him or 13 goals from him or 14 goals was over ambitious because, again, the system was built around him and he only delivered so many last season. So the assists are, I think, very much just like a Pedri thing. It's a system thing. It's a bit concerning from that right wing. And that's why the games he was in, they weren't really scoring. And I, I think for with Lewandowski banned for Atletico Madrid, I mean, you really do come in now with huge questions for this weekend as to who up top would start. I, I think the midfield tree, obviously with Pedri getting a rest, you're going to see Pedri. Gabi did not start. And then De Jong did not play at all. So I think Xavi's already played his hand there. Balde didn't start in this match, plays his hand there. And obviously Kunde and Araujo, I don't care that they played in this one. Kunde, we've been ready for him to play 90 minutes. I know he was at the World Cup. That's why he got the rest against Espanyol. So he's been rotated. He'll be ready to go. Araujo's going to be healthy, ready to go. And now you only have one question you have to answer the back line. Is it you put Alonso, who did not start this game, because I think that means the shot is going to start him against Atletico Madrid as the left center back and have Kunde as the right back. I think that's what's going to happen. And then obviously Ter Stegen gets rotated for this one as well. And then that brings that that means all the questions because Ansu didn't start in this match and he gets a goal. I think you have one started locked in there. Demele picked up a knock and played extra time. I don't know who are your other two starters because I I kind of do lock in Ansu Fadi there and I've again kind of answered the back line for us. So who are your other two starters against Atletico Madrid? <sighs> it's a tough one. I, I would say without the the extra time, definitely Demele. What if it's Ansu Fati down the middle and then both Dembele and Raf- I feel like Dembele is going to play. I feel like well, yes. Well, that was, I, was interesting. Dembele plays in the middle down the stretch there, and I like I made a joke oh. here with going back to the Kuman days when Dembele is your center forward, something has gone horribly wrong, or you're in extra time in the Copa del Rey. One of those mm-hmm. two things has just happened if Dembele is running through the middle. But it was interesting that Xavi still wanted to keep Ansu comfortable on that left wing, and I said I think Dembele playing through the center says a lot more about Ansu needing to be on the left wing right now than it does Dembele being able to play, as we're seeing, across the front three. Because you'd think on paper that having Dembele 
on the left wing and putting Ansu in the middle. Again, I agree with you. It it makes more sense, but I think the way that Xavi set it up, he kind of already played his hand. And I, I don't. I think it's going to be if Dembélé and Ansu work together, that it's going to be Dembélé in the middle. Yeah, it could be. Could be. I mean, he has his strengths. I think that experiment was not exact. I wouldn't say it was successful, but it had some moments. You know, it 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 made you think. Oh, there there is something there that we can take take away from this. But it's not really a long term option. It's not something that you no. can rely on. And especially like Atletico Madrid and it's such a big game that it's a must win for us uh, in so many so many ways. So I I don't I don't want to. I hope it doesn't happen somehow. Uh, but if you put Ansu Fati in the left wing and then you put Dembélé on the right, that would leave what either Ferran Torres or Memphis Depay down the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to see Memphis down the middle, so I would prefer Ferran there. But at the same time, he hasn't done anything to warrant a starting spot against Atletico Madrid. So it's a tough one. I'm not sure what, what to go with. I would I would say. Had Memphis been a bit better, maybe put him on the left and Ansu in the middle and then Dembele on the right could work as well. But then again, you need more runners for Memphis as well. On the left. Oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I would have to think about that a bit more, I think. I think you yeah, know, if, sure. if Dembele is healthy, I think you go Dembele on the right. I think you go Ansu on the mm. left. I think you go Farron in the middle. And you kind of mm. live with the the what is the question mark of Farron Torres. So, all right, last thing here, real quick, less than a minute. La Balsa is down for, I think, Barca TV at the moment. For those who haven't been watching the, cover, uh, the coverage of this, Barca TV employees went on strike on December the 31st to protest against their working conditions and salaries. So if you are looking to check in with Barca TV and Barca TV Plus, you might have some trouble there because there's nobody there right now. So I hope that they can figure that out quickly. The negotiations and the problems aren't even necessarily with the club themselves with the company that the club uses to facilitate Barca TV, which most of these workers actually are under contract with. It's a little convoluted. It's a little complicated. Worker salaries and labor is also different in Spain. So I'm not going to... I definitely don't have time to do that now. So I'm just going to say La Bolsa is down right now for that kind of thing. Unfortunately, because the name is Barca TV, that it is more bad press for the club. So PR for Barca is also La Bolsa is down on that this week which is unfortunate. But for Atletico Madrid, you know, let's say they, they get that sorted out for Barca TV and the Barca go out and smack Atletico Madrid on Sunday. I think uh, for Xavi and company, the balls will be way up. So Domagoy, as I wrap it up and say goodbye to you, I think as always, I, I don't know, I feel like your stock was pretty high already, Domagoy, but I feel like with this one, your stock continues to rise as always. I appreciate the time, Domagoy. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here always. Um... And I'm glad that you think they think so. Uh, I sometimes get kind of lost in my thoughts, and, and I have to process a lot of things when I when I talk tactics. I don't often I can't just really throw it all at once. You know, I have to stop and think. And and as a person, I I always talk quickly, and I, I sometimes I don't stop and think. So that's that's kind of what bogs me down. But thank you, I appreciate the kind words. If I criticize same somebody, to you. If I criticize somebody for talking too fast, rambling, and ranting. <laughs> Uh, that is probably <laughs> kettle black in ways that that uh, go far beyond this podcast. But as anyone in my 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 close circle will will tell you. But anyway, you can once again read and order Domagoy's book. That's going to be in the description down below. And then you can follow him on Twitter, where he has a lot of good tactical stuff as well. And then we are on Twitter, Instagram, and I have to now add it to it TikTok as well. So if you're on TikTok, if you're one of our younger listeners, we're on TikTok now at the Barcelona Pod as well. That's that's where it is for everything. 
closed Facebook group, Patreon, Discourse, as well as YouTube. That's where I have my five headlines with matches again. Five headlines are back. So check that out on the Barcelona podcast on YouTube. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barcelona.